I don't know about you, but I have a variety of to-do lists. Whether it's a shopping to-do or a job to-do around the house or my bucket list to-do. I use these to help me measure how I'm progressing. I don't know if you've got to-do lists around, but perhaps like me, too often those to-do lists read like a list of haven't done's. Haven't done yet. Because life keeps happening and things get reprioritised. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. What I notice, however, is that when I look at the Bible, what it says, and my faith, I can easily reduce that to a spiritual to-do list. Today I have some praying to do. Or I have some Bible reading to do. Or I have something Christian to do. And when I look at God's word and my faith like that, it's no wonder it's easier for me to be pressed down by what I haven't achieved rather than what God has in my life. For a faith where we proclaim we're saved not by our good works, but by the grace of God, there sure seem to be a lot of to-dos that we hear about. Is there guilt because day in and day out, life keeps happening, things get reprioritised, and the spiritual things you've wanted to do get pushed aside? I'm not sure we should ignore those feelings, but I do know of a way we can begin to live our faith more naturally, more effectively, and a little less by the list. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus came to bring to us the only way to get to know God, he didn't talk about lists. He talked about another L word, love. Love is the answer to the pressure, all the pressures of to do. The power of love can destroy or it can build. The power of love can quench or give life, give despair or give meaning. The power of God's love can renew our lives, enrich our congregation, and best of all, it can help us to see ourselves in that treasured and special place that we have as Christians. Because his love is the basis of his relationship with us and not the things on our religious to-do list. God's love frees us from the burden of any sort of legalistic religion. And as we look at John's words, God's words to us today, it's important to understand that love isn't done. John tells us it's what we live and what we breathe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that now in our worship we can listen to John, what he has to tell us about who you are to us, what we can enjoy in you, and how that follows through into our lives. Help us to hear his words, your words. Help us to attune to the Spirit and help us to be informed, encouraged, inspired by what you're saying to us today. Amen. When we read anything in the Bible, part of understanding the passage is understanding a little bit about who's writing it. In communicating through these men, God did not use robots. 
Instead, he inspired people who expressed themselves out of their own history and expressions. This is just as true when we look at what John is saying here today. When he wrote this, John was the last living apostle. He was the last of the 12 who had spoken, eaten and walked with the master. Now he was living in a place called Ephesus and was watching over a number of churches churches in what is now called Turkey. He writes like a kindly old man. I don't know if you picked out in the reading. He calls us little children. Love one another. He said that I don't know how many times. Love one another. But that wasn't the John who started with Jesus. Just a few passages illustrate something about John in his early days with Jesus. When the days grew closer, this is from Luke, when the days grew closer for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he was determined to continue his journey to Jerusalem. So he sent messengers on ahead of him. On their way, they went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people didn't welcome him because he was determined to go on to Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them as Elijah did? But Jesus turned and rebuked them and they went on to another village. Got that? John wanted to burn these people to a crisp. People who hadn't been nice to Jesus. You say the word, we'll call down fire and there'll be crackers. Where's the love? Another time, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, went to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. So he asked them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Let us sit in your glory, one at your right hand, one at your left But Jesus told them, you don't realise what you're asking. Can you drink from the cup that I'm going to drink from or be baptised with the baptism with which I'm going to be baptised? They told him, we can. Hey, Jesus, said John, give us the best seats, please. This is John. Where's the love? Perhaps it was for these sorts of reasons that Jesus called John and his brother James Sons of Thunder. They're not a very gracious name, is it? They didn't appear to be advertisements for the love of God. So what changed? Janelle and I celebrated 43 years of being married last Thursday. 43 years. Yes, I'm not saying that for the applause. It's been hard work. Um, <laughs> especially for me. Um, (laughs) What has kept us together, however, is love. Yes, tenacity, a lot of tenacity in there, but love. But I love my wife not because she was cute in her late teens or because she loved me first. I love her because I loved her from the first. But, you know, it's her love for me, not mine for her, that's produced the greatest change in me. In the time we've spent together, I've learned something about her nature of giving to me, her grace, her practical love. For me, a love that is unique. 
It's not the love that I've received from anyone else on this planet. And experiencing that and enjoying that has caused me to see things differently and it's changed me in deep ways. So because it was that sort of a week for us, I wondered about this and talked it over with Janelle. And she noticed that it was actually my love for her that had brought some of the best changes in her life as well. To be really loved, to know you are loved, brings about change. Those of you who have been in any long relationships may well know what I'm talking about. So what changed John? The same power of love. Specifically, witnessing the power of Jesus' love to John and all the other people that Jesus ministered to while John walked with him. The final verse of the reading today makes it clear. John writes, We have seen for ourselves. We can testify. Translated, this is what I saw. This is what I experienced. He was the only apostle at the crucifixion and I believed he was changed by seeing and hearing Jesus on the cross. Along with Peter, they were the only two apostles who went to the open tomb on Resurrection Sunday and found that Jesus had risen. John was changed by being at the empty tomb. Fifty days later, when the events of Pentecost happened, John was there and was changed by experiencing Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit being fulfilled. He was changed because even though he had seen Jesus go up into heaven, he continued to see Jesus working to save people and build them into his church. All these things impressed on him, who Jesus and his father were, and how much they had paid for John's life. He was not only saved, he was changed by that experience, organically, behaviourally. How do I know that? Because that's what John wrote in the passage today. Dear friends, let us continually love one another because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born from God and knows God. The person who does not love does not know God because God is love. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if this is the way God loved us, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. God's love changes us because it should change us. His cross, his resurrection, his giving us the Holy Spirit, his ongoing presence in our lives should impress and influence us as much as being loved by anyone. 43 years, 5 years, it's the same thing. So here we have John, no longer a son of thunder. Instead, wiser for having lived a life of enjoying the love of God and Christ and having built his whole framework around Jesus and loving others. Today he tells us, Dear friends, stop believing every spirit. Instead, test the spirits to see whether they're from God. 
because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So the churches that John was supporting were having difficulties with false teachers, people who wanted to be big fish, people who wanted to redefine the faith in terms of their own understandings. Now that series that John had just finished on Peter was rooted in addressing the same problem. In this letter, John highlights two things, two sections to this letter that each start with the phrase, this is the message. In the first part of this letter, John highlights that God is light. And we are likewise to live in that light and demonstrate the works of light. Now, if you encounter someone who doesn't live that way, don't accept their teaching. Secondly, John highlights that God is love. And being in him, it follows that we will be a loving people. Not in theory or in words, but in actuality. John's point is that if you encounter someone who claims to be in the faith but doesn't live that way, don't accept their teaching either. For John, the outcome of living as a person of light, living in the context of love, is the path to joy. And he wants Christians to enjoy their faith the way they had before these false teachers had come in and made a mess. But his message is not some sort of cliched invitation to be warm and fuzzy to each other. This isn't the love he talks about. At, in verse 3.18 of the reading, he makes this clear. Little children, we must stop loving in word and tongue, but instead love in action and in truth. How easy it is to give the cliched warm and fuzzy stuff. People were being warm and fuzzy. John says, stop it. And instead, know how God loves and practice love like that. And I don't know if you remember that picture. We're talking about agape love earlier in the year. And that's the word he's using here. I don't know if you can see. Can you see this? Jesus in the garden. Right? The night before this is the love. It's a building love. It's a grimacing love. It's a hard work love. It's an investing love. The love that can cost a lot to give. The love that builds someone else up substantially. Doesn't just make the sender and receiver feel emotionally nicer. There's a cost. You know, there's this really interesting story about John that's been handed down through the centuries. I'm going, to, I'm going to quote it. The blessed John the Evangelist lived in Ephesus until extreme old age. This is the story from the early church. His disciples could barely carry him to church and he couldn't muster the voice to speak many words. During individual gatherings, he usually said nothing but little children love one another. The disciples and brothers in attendance became annoyed because they always heard the same words. And finally they said to him, Teacher, why do you always say this? He replied with a line, Because it's the Lord's commandment and if it alone is kept, it is sufficient. The story is that the Christians around John got annoyed 
that he kept saying the same thing. The question is, why did John believe that he needed to repeat and repeat and repeat long after he'd written the Gospel of John, these letters of John, where he talked about John? I'm sure he preached about it when he was a younger man. Why did he need to keep repeating it? Doesn't their reaction highlight that after all this time, they still didn't get it? They got annoyed with John. Do we get it? Did we get lost in the reading with all the love, 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 love? Did we get lost? John is telling us it's not just about testing who we listen to. It's about testing ourselves, questioning ourselves, reflecting on whether our lives demonstrate that we've understood and internalised the love that God has shown us so that it ends up being communicated out of our lives. From what I see in myself and others, for a variety of reasons, I believe this one truth so easily escapes us. The to-do approach is an example of a functional but non-loving way of discipleship. Our insecurities about ourselves and God is another example of a misunderstanding or non-internalising of the actual love of God. This isn't about head knowledge. It's about soaking in the factual experience, the forgiveness you've received, the acceptance you've received, the faithfulness that God continues to show us. It's so easy for us to substitute guilt for grace and work for love. Love isn't a task to be done. It is what we should be living and breathing because we've been changed by a cross, by a resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit into our lives. Whether it's because we've never known love and so we don't really understand his great love for us, whether we feel we haven't earned it and so we can't really believe it, whether we've focused more on the knowing and the doing and just never enjoyed the being, the result is the same. The issue that John is writing about. A loss of love means a loss of joy. We have to internalise how we've been loved, how we've been raised up, how we've been healed, how we have been given hope. And John tells us this is not because we loved God, but because he loved us first and invested in our lives. And it's not a past thing. How did God love you today? What sort of answered prayers? How recently have you needed to rest in the security that you have in being able to hide with God when the world is just getting too tough? It's his faithfulness, his presence, his keeping promises. We love because he first loved us. The need is for us to reflect on that. Internalise how we are and let that change us. And it's funny... In my conversation with Janelle, we had to stop and think about how we'd changed over the years. The 
change had happened. It was only with hindsight that we were seeing it. The change is organic. Just living in love brings change. It's not a to-do. It was happening. You with me? It may take our whole lives to finally get it, but the journey is the goal. The journey of understanding more and more, not how much more I still have to do, but the journey of understanding how God first, still, and will always love us. That's the source of joy. And that's far more profound than any 43-year-old, 50-year-old, 100-year-old relationship. What do you think? Do you understand why John needed to keep repeating the message? Why the word love saturates John's writings? He was loveless. He changed and understood that that really is one of the big themes. The application is straightforward. Today, with a friend, a partner, a parent, talk about love, not the smushy stuff. Talk about what Jesus has and is doing in your life and rest in that. That's what he wants for you because of his great love for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, you've been a great saviour to us. Forgiveness, hope, comfort in our pain. Freedom from our guilt, salvation from our sin, answers to prayer. These should be our focus. In all of these you have and continue to demonstrate your love for us. This should be our focus. Father, help us to hold these memories every day of how faithful and dependable you are. Let that soak into us so that in recognising your steadfastness, your faithfulness, your loving presence in us, we might enjoy the love we end up giving others. Amen.